cool. So thank you so much for your time, Josh, once again. Uh, welcome to the Arcade Press podcast. Uh, can you introduce yourself a little bit to our audience and, and, and kind of give us a, a general background of uh, sort of the different hats you've worn, the different spaces that you've operated in? Yeah, of course. And uh, thanks for having me on, by the way. Um, yeah, so my name is Josh Sway, and I'm the um, producer and director of a documentary called Insert Coin, uh, which which chronicles the uh, 90s um, arcade run for uh, Midway Games uh, out here in Chicago. Um, and as many of your your audience knows, they, uh, you know, the, the company was known for um, creating such big games as Mortal Kombat and NBA Jam and Smash TV and many others. Um, it just so happens that the um, that era was also the era where uh, I first started working in video games. So I worked at Midway uh, back uh, in the 90s and worked with many of the team members that work on on these games. And so I'm kind of, uh, you know, kind of a uh, former video game developer turned uh, filmmaker and obviously, you know, lifelong uh, arcade uh, gamer. Yeah. And so your like impact on games is kind of it's large in some ways it's it's behind the scenes in some ways it's like in the game literally in some cases (laughs) you're actually in the game um how do you see your gaming experience is it some as as a as like a representative and an advocate and an ambassador for gaming do you see yourself as more behind the scenes as a director producer or do you also see yourself as someone that's out in front of the public sphere like how do you perceive your you know experience in gaming and in the industry yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, you know, in general, I, I perceive myself as somebody who was, you know, behind the scenes, you know, obviously working on, on games, um, you know, it's, you know, it's all about production and making something for people enjoy. And, you know, it's not, uh, you know, because of video games, you know, most video games, you don't, you know, you're not the person out in front. Now, that was definitely the case for me when I was at Midway, you know, I was one of the uh, one of the artists working uh, on a team on these various games and such. Um, Later on, you know, after Midway, you know, I had left to um, I had left the company to start up a couple of uh, my own um, game studios. And that it definitely shifted a little bit from there because running, uh, you know, forming a studio and running the studio, um, you know, being one of the co-founders, you know, I became kind of the figurehead for the company so that you know, I would say that I kind of transitioned from behind the scenes to a little bit more in front of the scenes. Um, and just because I was one of the co-founders of the company, but in my heart, you know, if myself personally, I still see myself as someone behind the scenes and that's, you know, and that's how most creators are, you know, and especially in right. video games, for the most part, you know, you don't have actors in a video game. And so, you know, it is definitely behind the scenes. Um, but yeah, that's how I, that's how I view myself. Definitely. And, and, you know, you're a big inspiration to, to me and Kai as well, because we both love games. Obviously, we love the behind the scenes of a game. We love the, you know, the making of a game, but we also love film as well. And you've been mm-hmm. able to have a successful career in both. Uh, when you consider your career as an artist for games, as in some cases, like the face for Liu Kang in a game <laughs> or, you know, working on a film or, you know, being the leader of your own gaming company, which hat or which role do you enjoy the most? What gives you the most fulfillment oh, creatively? Wow, that's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a tough one to answer. I, I, because in general, no matter what I'm doing, you know, whether it's in games or in film, there's, there's immense satisfaction in creating something. So, you know, I think the best answer at this point in my life is that I really, um, 
I really see myself almost more of a filmmaker than yeah. games and only because that's, I'm in the thick of it right now. And, mm. and I would say that I get more satisfaction mainly because, um, you know, I can, I can realistically make a film almost completely by myself. Now that doesn't mean I don't rely on other people for things, but it's, you know, I have, I have a lot of control on things and in my experience with games and I, and, you know, and this, you know, your mileage may vary on this, but almost every game that I've worked on has, have been kind of like larger um, studio productions and they require a huge amount of people to work on them. And so, you know, even being the lead on a game, you, there's only so much you can control. You, you're relying on, you know, teams of programmers and artists and designers and stuff. It's, it's, a, it's a big team effort. It's like making, you know, it's like making a Marvel movie. You know, you, you have a lot of people on there. And so it's satisfying in its own way, but you know, in terms of create, you know, creative satisfaction, you know, working on a smaller game or in my case, working on this documentary was hugely satisfying because even though I didn't work on every part of the film, I knew, I knew every aspect of the production. And so if, mm -hmm. I, if I needed to take control on things, I was able to do that. And, uh, and so, you know, so in my 25 plus year career, whether it's in films or video games and such, um, the, the, the documentary was the first time in my life that I got to work on a creative product that I had total control on, I had total confidence in, and I had nobody um, like lording over me. Like I can, I can make whatever I wanted to on my own timeline. And that was really nice to do. Yeah, that's really insightful and gives us a lot of like, um, you know, background into why you created the film and how the film empowers you as a creative. And my, my next question is kind of more abstract. When mm -hmm. we think about media and we think about how people engage with media, for example, you started in gaming, but eventually got into film and doing film gave you more power and more sort of uh, creative control over the stories that were being told and, and just, just creative control in general. And whereas a game, like you said, takes a huge team. Yeah. How do you see that changing um, over the next, let's say, maybe 10, 15 years? How will game creation change? Do you imagine it speeding up, becoming easier to make bigger games with a smaller team? Do you think that maybe film will become even easier? Do you see any large transformations that would affect general work process in the creative um creative procedures does that make sense basically like how do you see creative workflow changing and are you excited for it do you think that there are any concerns for the future regarding like ai that sort of thing yeah no for sure i you know i would definitely say that um, and, and that is already happening in games you know be, right. um so if you like if i were to use the film analogy like me creating insert coin um probably couldn't have happened let's say 15 years ago because mm -hmm. The, the, the barrier of entry or the cost of entry was so expensive to make a film. But now, you know, you can, th you can theoretically make a film with your iPhone if you wanted to, yep. you know, I mean, yep. like everything, the, everything has gotten much easier, more accessible. The technology has become definitely more accessible for people to make high quality work um, at a very, you know, reasonable price. And games have been trending in that same direction. I think in, in regards to, you know, the cost of doing things is still kind of expensive to do. But, you know, if you were to go back, you know, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, back when I was at Midway, let's say, um, 
you know, back then to make a game, you had to have a programmer and you had to have an artist, obviously. Um, but you really had to have a really damn good programmer because everything was more or less made from scratch. You know, all the programming was done from scratch. Now, as you go over the years uh, up to current times, you know, now there are game engines out there that people can work off of. And that was just unheard of back in the day. And so you didn't need to necessarily, you don't necessarily need to be a mathematical genius programmer to make a game. You can, you know, there, an engine is there already. You're not building from scratch. If you have a great idea, you can pretty much get it, you know, get it onto the screen fairly easily. There's still a lot of, um, you know, there's still a lot of difficulties, you know, it's not quite there yet, but you can see where it's going much like in the same way that, you know, once video became more digital and became less expensive to do, and you can actually edit on a laptop, um, you know, with games is the same thing as the engine right. become even more robust and people have you have easier access to art assets and other things, you know, it all, it, the, the barrier becomes less about oh, how, how good are you at math or how good are you at programming? It becomes less about that and more about, all right, what's your, what's your awesome idea? What's your incredible concept nobody else has thought about? And to be able to get that on the screen is going to get easier and easier. It's just a matter of time for it to get there. Definitely. Do you, um, what, what inspires you the most at this point in your career? I mean, you, you've worked on some of the biggest games and some of the biggest IPs, you've had, you know, a really successful movie documenting that, documenting that success story and the legacy of Midway. What inspires you now uh, creatively? Is it is it the transformation of the media that you just talked about? Are there any particular games that really stand about stand out about stand out to you? Are there uh, those arcade memories that are really awesome? What really encourages you to work on to work and and what are you looking at uh, working on at the current moment? Yeah, I think the, you know, what gets me really excited is it isn't like any one thing. It isn't either movies or games, side, but, but like the thing that I'm really getting into a lot is, you know, basically giving people experiences, like very immersive experiences. And again, it, it, it's not necessarily movies or video games, but it's some combination of the two. You know, we're getting to the point where things like the holodeck from Star Trek is becoming more and more of a reality. Mm -hmm. um, and not just as a concept, but just even technically, you know, and economically is becoming, is becoming easier and easier to do. And so, you know, I, it, you know, to kind of bring it into the arcade mentality is, you know, when back in the day, like I was a big eighties arcade kid, you know, and all the way in through the nineties and so on, but like it started in the eighties. And I remember, you know, when arcades first started becoming really big, you know, you know, you would walk into an arcade and you would go up to this machine to play a game and just the simple physical nature of you going to a machine and, you know, plopping your recorder or token in and having that start up, and there's a cabinet around you and you get completely immersed in it. Um, that's, you know, that to me, it was the arcade experience. And for me, like now, fast forward, you know, 30, 40 years later, um, there's an opportunity for people to get immersed into an experience. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a game. It doesn't have to be a movie, but it can be mm -hmm. a combination of the two. But like, I want to go into a space and just let, and just like forget about everything else. And I'm just focused on that experience. And I think VR is is like that but i don't want to put on a headset like i want to be able to walk into something as naturally as walking into a room and have the walls mm. disappear 
you know, and again, it doesn't have to be a game. It could just be an experience. Like, you know, I want to experience, you know, walking through the redwood forest in California, you know, things like that. Um, Mm -hmm. So stuff like that really, uh, you know, gets me excited. It's stuff that's very similar to what I, what I'm, you know, currently working on. And, um, and I think, uh, you know, I think that, you know, gets, gets people to be excited about like getting out of their normal spaces and going, you know, going somewhere else. Yeah. And the, the hollow deck was like a perfect, like metaphor and example of kind of that, that 3d simulation, that space, which is the arcade, right? It's almost like, and I've, I've written about this a little bit before how like the arcade is actually very reminiscent of Arcadia, which is like a Greek word for like utopia. Mm -hmm. So it is in a way the arcade is kind of a simulation of an ideal world, right? Like, like many amusement centers, right? So I just think that that you brought up the holodeck really kind of sparked a light in my mind um, about this sort of utopia-esque Arcadia arcade space that isn't just, right? It isn't just a VR set. It isn't just like a game in your house, like a console, it's a space, you know? And so that's really fascinating. Um, Maybe you can go in a little bit more detail about that. Like when you were... Um, first encounter the arcade maybe what was the first arcade game that you encountered or the one that stood out in your mind the most and like what did it feel like when you yeah first had that? So, yeah it's, it's uh I, I remember it distinctly and i'm hoping i get the name right it was it was a it was back in the very early 80s if not the late 70s and i'm trying to remember this but there was um it, it might not have been the first arcade game i played but it's definitely the one that i was the first time that like i felt completely enveloped in their experience and it was a game mm-hmm. by exidy called i want to say it's called firepower or starfire or something to that but it was basically it was a star wars ripoff game um okay. but the thing is that it was a um it, it was just i just remember playing it and being completely engrossed by it because i'm shooting uh you know counterfeit tie fighters you know in my x-wing and and I recall, and I'm hoping my recollection is right. I recall that there was a sit-down cabinet version of it, and that's and I just would play that endlessly. And again, there's just something about being in in a physical space like that, especially when it's an enclosed space where you can just shut everything out and you you and you're very focused on it. And you know, to me, it's the same analogy as watching a movie in a movie theater compared to being at home. You know, like I, I obviously I watch a lot of movies at home, but, you know, when you watch a movie in the theater, it feels very special. Even the most mediocre film can feel special in, mm. in the theater just because of the physical space itself. So, yeah, so that game was uh, I remember that very fondly. And um, and I think that it was my first uh, experience in like in something that immersive. Would you say that like most of what console gaming and maybe even PC gaming is missing is that immersive experience? Uh, yeah. Are there other things that you think are also missing out of the experience that you really love in the arcade space? Yeah, I, I mean, it's, you know, and, and this isn't to say that one is better than the other. It's really it's just, a, it's just a different thing. And so, right. you know, the thing for me is that, and this is something that I learned um, even more so when I was working at Midway, is that when you play an arcade game, that machine, and everything about it is basically engineered or, or tuned for that game, you know? So mm-hmm. the placement of the joystick, where the buttons are, everything was, you know, was designed to be there for a reason. And so, 
you know, so when you get into, you know, console or PC games and stuff, you know, you basically have a controller and that controller has to work for every single game. And it, and, and it works, it works fine and everything, but there was just something about playing, you know, playing NBA Jam and those buttons, the way they were laid out on the control panel is the way that the designer intended it to be played. You know, it's kind of like going to, yeah, if you go, if you go to like a really fancy restaurant and it's like a, you know, eight course meal, everything comes out in a specific order in a specific way because there was an artist back there crafting it that way. And that's how I look at a lot of these arcade games. And, you know, it, it wasn't one of those things I thought about when I was a kid playing arcade games, but when I was, when I was working at Midway, I, you know, I, it, it didn't, it dawned on me that, oh man, this cabinet and, you know, and the control panel, the game designers told the engineers how the button layout should be. You know, they, mm. they, they told them how, if the, if the screen is tilted properly or not, every, you know, nothing was an accident. Everything was really mm. thought through. And, it, and when I, when I found that out, it blew my mind, you know, because I just never thought about that. It's like, Oh, this is why these button layouts are the way it is. You know, it's, and it's because it, it was very intentional and, and I have a you know, really big appreciation for that. Man, that's right. That's right on what we've been thinking about and talking a lot about too on the show is thinking about like how those arcade cabinets and those arcades are actually curated experiences yeah. by great artists, great thinkers and collectors. Um, wow. So that's, that's definitely a moment. Um, let's talk a little bit about Midway. When you joined Midway and you started working with them, I guess, I think back in 93, what was that like for you? Did you know as soon as you joined that this was a huge, insane moment that you basically were helping shape gaming history? Or was it much after the fact? Like, what was the moment for you where you were like, this is this is in, this is serious? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh. Like, I, I'm, oh. I'm working on Mortal Kombat. Like, you know what I mean? Because that's huge. Like, that game is one of, to me, that's one of the most popular IPs of all time. Sure. And people who don't in other countries who don't know the name Mortal Kombat, they know who Scorpion is. You know what I mean? It's just yeah. so iconic. Uh, so yeah. maybe talk a little bit about that. Yeah, it was. Uh, so, you know, when I first, like, I obviously I knew of Midway. Again, like I, I was in the eighties. Like when I say I was an arcade fanatic, like I'm underplaying it because that's like, I mean, it was insane how much. It was serious. Was, it was serious. Well, let me make this story. My, both my brothers uh, managed a gigantic arcade in in Southern California called Showboat Golf and Games, and it was a Mark Twain boat with three floors of of arcade games in it, and wow. and I would be there for twelve hours a day with a giant sack of tokens playing games like all day, you know. So I knew everything back then. So yeah. so I was like a total freak. And so when I found out about Midway, you know, I was excited, but it was it was really interesting because. At that point, when I got there, the first Mortal Kombat game had just come out and it was starting to become a success. NBA Jam had, had come out already, um, the first version of it. And so I knew of them. I knew these games were starting to get popular, but but like I it, at that time, it wasn't like really a big deal. Um, but I was excited about just working in video games and arcade games in general. But so what ended up happening though, so I, you know, I was excited to get in, obviously, um, just because of the work that they do. That they do. But what ended up what ended up freaking me out was <clears throat> my first day at the office. I got to meet uh, Eugene Jarvis, and I had no idea that he was working at Midway. 
like I knew him from Williams back in the day doing Robotron and Defender. And when I was a kid in the 80s, I knew who Eugene Jarvis was. I would read magazine articles about him. And so when I started at Midway on that first day and he introduced himself, I, I thought I had met God. I mean, it was like, I just, like <laughs> yeah. my God just dropped. I'm like, like, wait, yeah. what? Like, I, I had no idea. And I felt like I was like the luckiest boy in the world because I just lucked into working in the same company as this genius that I knew about when I was a kid. So, so that's, you know, so that was an incredible moment. And then, and then, you know, you know and then Jam and Mortal Kombat kind of blew up even further after that happened. So I really, I really felt like I was living through history as it was occurring. And, wow. um, and so when I first got there, they were already working on Mortal Kombat 2. And then the NBA Jam team was working on the tournament edition. And I got hired on to work on a wrestling game with the NBA Jam team. And it was just amazing. I mean, it was, you know, and I, I think you'll hear this a lot from people from different eras and stuff. But for myself personally, it was a really magical era in the industry that I'm still that I, I feel like I, I still haven't uh, gotten over yet. You know, it left such an impression on me because I felt like, I, okay, I'm in the right place at the right time. Things are blowing up all over. And I just felt like, you know, we were a part of history right from the very beginning. Um, and I, I just, I, I really made a point mentally to kind of soak it all in, to just let, you know, just really document everything that's going on. Which inspired the movie, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's the thing. And that, that it's, it's a funny thing is that when I first came up with the, with the idea for the film, um, I really, like, I was excited about it. And, and I was kind of shocked that nobody had thought about it yet, you know, to be honest with you, you know, right. so part of me was excited, but part of me was also thinking, well, maybe I'm excited only because I worked there. Maybe like, is anyone else really going to care about this? And so, so, you know, so I talked with, the, you know, all these guys that I worked with and I told them the idea and they were excited about it and wanted to participate. Um, but I just wasn't sure, you know, and then, uh, but I just figured, you know what, I know all the stories, or at least I thought I knew all the stories. Um, I knew what's going on. And, and you know, it, it was just such a great time in our lives that I just felt like it was, it was, you know, the story should be told and eventually someone's going to tell it. And so why not me? And, uh, and that's where, that's where, really where it all came from. Yeah. And we're glad that you told it and, and you're continuing to share it. And what's what's super interesting is that not only obviously were you able to be a part of history and be a part of this awesome games, but then like at the same time, that time period alone was just su such a unique point yeah. of American history, like technology and style and the, the everything. It was just that's just insane, right? Like, yeah. it's almost like a dreamscape. Like, I could see where you're like, <laughs> I, I haven't got over it yet. Cause it's like, was that a dream? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, no, it's, right. it's the, from the movie, I'm like, this like seems unreal, you know? Yeah. I mean, and just, and it's really interesting because when I talk to, you know, a lot of people about that era, you know, most of the people I talk to about that era are the, are gamers, are, are the game players, you know? But like, it's hard for me to put myself in that shoe because I look at it as that era was an incredible time for the work we were doing. So, right. so hearing sometimes from the gamer's point of view is very different from, from what I lived through. You know, so a lot of people will ask, you know, we'll talk about the arcade scene and I have a very skewed view of it. I'm looking at it from the developer's point of view, you know, and, and specifically on Midway's impact. Um, so it's always really neat to hear what that scene was like as, as a game player. And around the world too, 
yeah right in different countries and stuff like that because i'm you know midway was all over the place but how how do you perceive that let's talk a little bit about that how do you perceive (laughs) uh, you know the the um i mean obviously you thought that the whole design of all the cabinets and the games and all that was super awesome but like like what was your perception of the arcade scene in chicago i'm assuming you know what was chicago like because i I didn't grow up in chicago during the arcade era what was that like yeah, no, it was so it was interesting because in the 80s, the arcade scene was very different from the 90s. So in the 80s, it was, you know, it, like like everybody played arcade games. Right. So it's like you had families, you had kids, you had older people, you had people in bars and stuff like that. I mean, game, uh, the arcade games were everywhere. And going into the 90s, um, you know, it was it, 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 for the most part, especially in Chicago. But I, I think it's the same anywhere, as, at least in America, is that it became more competitive it became like you know like the lighting in arcades got darker everything was like just i, I don't want to say seedier you know but it just it, it was definitely more focused on what kind of game players were going to be you know we're going to be hanging out in an arcade and so you know so the scene changed a lot and it's very interesting because you know that came around the rise of more competitive type games you know, if you think mm-hmm. about arcade games in the 80s, there were, there were more or less single player games. You know, they, I mean, you have two player modes for a lot of these games, but it wasn't like head to head type of type of competition, especially like, you know, you didn't really have fighting games back in the day. But like mm-hmm. in the 90s, you know, you got, you know, a game like Mortal Kombat, you know, Street Fighter, you know, even NBA Jam, you know, it, 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 it multiplayer games became more of the norm because they made a ton of money, you know, suddenly... Uh-huh. You know, you have four people plunking down 50 cents each for about two and a half minutes of play on NBA Jam. I mean, it's like suddenly the amount of money that these games can make just skyrocketed. And mm-hmm. it yeah, and it really changed the arcade landscape. Um, so so to me, you know, coming from a developer's point of view, it was like, all right, the you know, I definitely look at it from a business point of view. And it's like, you know, it's hey, you gotta make games that are gonna make X amount of money and and you can't have someone who can learn the pattern on Pac-Man and play a game for a half hour. You got to like, you know, give them a quick thrill for about 45 seconds before they have to plunk mm-hmm. in the next set of money. So, mm-hmm. so in many respects, I looked at it, I, I started understanding the business aspects of it. Um, but in terms of the personality of the arcades, yeah, they, you know, at least from my point of view, they become, they became areas where, you know, um, groups of people gathered together to play with and against each other um, in these darkened arcades. And, you know, there were very few kids in the arcades. It, it was less of a family thing. And now it was more of a, like a serious gamer type of, uh, type of atmosphere. And, um, and so it just, it definitely became more, more uh, competitive uh, for lack of a better way to explain it. Right. And that's interesting that you um, sort of, equate or compare the competitive atmosphere of the 90s as opposed to the 80s with also the actual spaces becoming darker in lighting yeah and so i'm curious to think like to wonder do you think that it at that time period we equated like just being able to see the games when you walk into the arcade as more of a competitive serious atmosphere or was it like just a uh, sort of an offshoot or byproduct of that 90s time that that it should just be dark yeah you know it I, yeah i don't know to be honest with you like i know that because because it was at least the arcades that it, like we used to test at in chicago they were all very dark in nature and and i think it's a lot of times because it's like 
you know, there was almost more of a serious tone to the game. Like people went into mm -hmm. these arcades to compete against each other. Um, and it was less family oriented, you know? And so you still have like the, obviously like the Chuck E. Cheese and, you know, these other types of family fun center type things. But when it came to the, you know, like pure arcades, they definitely were very different in tone than, than like the pure arcades were, you know, back in the eighties. Um, so, you know, I, I, I'm not sure what, caused that outside of like people just wanted to concentrate you know on the, on right. the themselves but like right. you know a lot of times you know when you when you talk with people with people who remember the 90s arcades you know they talk about like oh going into this area and i'm just and i'm just focusing on the game itself i think they were able to focus on games because that's all you saw were were the screens you didn't see the walls of the arcades or you know the ceilings or anything it was just the glow of the screens you know floating mm -hmm. in darkness and maybe now that I think about it, maybe Mortal Kombat works in a darker space. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, that, no, it's it's like you know, like were, were there any arcades when you were coming up where when you when you started Mortal Kombat start coming out and the arcade cabinet started coming out that like MK was the main game, like at the arcade. And like, if so, how did the like arcade arcades uh, like actually style this game was it did you ever notice mk in the front of the arcade or in the very back or was like was there anything unique about mk or any of the M midway games like were there arcades that were like really really focused on pushing the mway uh midway yeah. ips yeah yeah so no most definitely and and the thing is that like and i'm not sure if it was just a chicago thing you know and because it's like one you know during that period of time the only arcades i went into were the ones we were testing in and so, right. so they got preferential treatment. So they would always put the Midway games like dead center, you know, and, but rightly so, because those games have always had a crowd of people around them. And so, so they always got preferential treatment. Um, and, you know, and there's a lot of, you know, uh, pride in Chicago over, you know, over anything that's made in Chicago. So, <laughs> right. you know, so yeah, so they would always have it front and center, but uh, again, it was deservedly so. And I think, I think it's, it was for that era was a universal thing is like, Hey, if you're, you know, if this game is going to have a crowd around it, then you have to put it somewhere where you can allow, you know, a crowd of people, you know, to be around it. Um, but like, you know, like NBA Jam, I mean, it's, you know, you got four people playing that already creates, you know, a pretty big footprint on the arcade itself. Um, and, and, you know, when you have a, a bunch of people kind of gathering around and looking at any machine, it's going to, you know, it, it's always going to draw even more people in. Definitely. Couple, couple more questions. Um, I'm really curious about where do you think the future of arcades is going? Is there a future mm -hmm. for arcades? You know, we obviously arcades have gone through their best of times and their worst of times. They started coming back a little bit in some ways with barcades. They have some really cool ones in Chicago, as a matter of fact. And even like uh, locations like Galloping Ghosts outside of Chicago are really cool. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, obviously there are some pandemics, there are some situations that are coming up, there's some economic crises of, of sorts. Where do you think the future of arcades are headed? Or is it is it not looking too bright, not looking too Boy. good in general? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think it, it, the simple answer or the simplest answer I can really think of right now is that they're going to keep evolving, you know, and arcades have always evolved, like from the 80s to the 90s and the 2000s and now they're always going to be around because people, you know, it, it's, it's just like movie theaters are always going to be around. You know, people would rather watch movies at home, you know, just for the convenience of it. But 
there's enough of an audience that still likes the movie going experience. I think with arcades, you know, there's still enough people that want to get out of the house, want to go into another space and do things and play games that are uniquely for, you know, for arcades themselves. So, you know, the death of arcades has been talked about just nonstop forever, like probably since the eighties, to be quite honest. <laughs> right. You know? it's true. But they're, it, but they're always there. Now, are they going to be the same as they were before? No, probably not. But it depends on what your definition of the arcade is, you know? So like, you know, is a barcade the same as an arcade? Like I can go to uh, Emporium out here in Chicago and get the arcade experience that just happens to be in a bar. I could take my family to a family fun center, you know, and to me, mm -hmm. you know, it's different from the arcades I grew up in, but to my kids, that's the, that's the arcade experience, you know, and it's still a lot more fun than I would, I shouldn't say it's a lot more fun. It's a different experience and from playing a game at home. So they don't really compete against each other. And, you know, when you have like games like, you know, like um, you know, Eugene Jarvis's company, Raw Thrills, they have a giant Halo, you know, arcade game that's, you know, that's out in Family Fun Center. It's like a four player massive setup. Yeah, and you that. play that thing and it's, it's an experience, you know, mm -hmm. and it's an experience that you're not going to get at home. And so I think they're always going to be around. I think they're going to constantly evolve, you know, hey, maybe, maybe it's going to be, you know, maybe VR gets more popular or maybe the, a hollow deck type thing you know, comes into play. Um, but I think that the concept of an arcade, which is, you know, going into a space to experience something, you know, uniquely different from what you would get at home. I think that's always going to be around. Yeah. And we agree. And we hope so also. And that's the same thing we've actually been saying a lot too, is like, you know, as long as people want to play together, they'll exist in some form. Right. Exactly. Just like we want to watch movies together, you know? So exactly. I, I, I think a great example is um, that game uh, killer queen, you know, mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, yeah. But like the arcade version of that is insane. And there are leagues around that. Like people meet, you know, in, you know, in to do tournament play at different, you know, arcades and barcades, like, you know, all over the place. Like here in Chicago, there's um, the Logan Arcade. And every time I go there, there's just a group of people and, there's, and they just love that game. And, you know, they have a home version of the game, which is great also. But when you're in that same room playing, you know, four on four or five on five against each other, I mean, it's just, it's just a party and you, you can't beat that experience. Yeah, definitely. I've seen that game. Um, I've seen that cabinet and it's insane. It even looks impressive, right? Mm -hmm. The all yellow. It just looks really, really good. Yeah. And I think, uh, yeah, we'll see more of that. I think we'll see more sort of indie developers building cabinets and we're already kind of seeing that. I, I don't know how, how uh, much you're into like fighting games and the fighting game community. I'm sure you have an idea that they're super active too and still meeting in oh, their yeah. own way. Yep. You know, definitely. definitely. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Kai, did you have any um, thoughts or questions or anything like that? I didn't want to, you know, wrap up without without right. giving you opportunity to. Uh, no, I think you guys pretty much covered just about every base. I would say. I, well, I have one question. I guess as far as the development of arcades, um, you, you talked about them kind of uh, developing and evolving into other things. Um, do you think that the esports arena is is that now, or or do you think mm. there could be another idea presented to kind of further emphasize, you know, that that arcade uh, space or experience? 
Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I um, I think, I, you know, I definitely think esports and arcades have, you know, have a relationship with each other. And I think, I think, you know, it's, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to figure out a way to say this is basically, you know, East, like esports reminds me of when I used to go to arcades just to watch somebody play, mm-hmm. you know, like, I mean, and it was even back in the eighties. I remember what I would just go watch somebody play dragon's lair just because I wanted to see where that game goes. I didn't necessarily like right. playing it, but I loved watching people, you know, play it. And so with like, with esports and such, I think there's a, you know, there's a direct relationship to that type of experience. And, you know, I don't know, where it can go from here, but I, I think that um, I think the popularity of esports, you know, stems from that whole that whole experience of being in an arcade and watching someone playing a game. Especially with, like when it came to fighting games, and like you know, there'll be crowds of people watching people watching players you know go against each other in Mortal Kombat, and it was super exciting to watch. And um, seeing esports at, at an even bigger scale is is pretty amazing. So I think that you know. You know, I think you're going to see venues that are going to, um, you know, like what we have barcades now. I can see that mm-hmm. that type of concept where it's accommodating for esports activities, so people can be there to basically it's like a sports lounge to and and be spectators, you know, for uh, for competitions. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um. To 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 conclude, and I also like that. That, that that idea about the um the, the question about the esports thing because i think that as we evolve um and as we evolve the discussions around the spaces those spaces can interact and there can be various versions of like barcades and and esports arenas mm-hmm. and traditional arcades and hopefully more like arcade spaces that are even have that artistic tint to it you know what i mean that even right. gallery museum vibe could be really cool too or even terrarium and eco style vibes you know that could all be really cool or vaporwave and and synth wave and 80s like there's so much potential still in public spaces as long as people can meet together hopefully we'll see some stuff like that but to move on to the last question uh josh and we appreciate your time greatly more than you know uh, and you've you've been super insightful for us is what are you working on uh, these days um, and what is the best way our listeners can get uh, involved with what you're doing and, and communicate with you on what you're doing? Oh, gotcha. Yeah, no, thanks. Um, so right now the, you know, I'm, I'm formulating the, uh, the next documentary, just trying to figure out which ones I, there, there, awesome. there are a few different topics that I really want to hit. And um, I really needed to take a break from the film for a while just because I got, I got so burnt out, but now I'm, I'm back to the point where it's like, all right, let's start thinking about the next project and, and get that going. So I'm working on that right now. And then, and there are a couple of um, kind of uh, immersive projects, concept projects, similar to like the holodeck I was just mentioning um, that I, that I'm working on with a team. And so can't talk too much about that right now. But, uh, <laughs> Top secret. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But uh, yeah, there's uh, so that sounds great going on. But yeah, no, it's you know, and you know, in all honesty, as much as I love working on film and things, you know, being a uh, being a you know game developer, you never shake game development out of your system, you know. And so yeah, I you know, I always tell people there's probably like you know, there's always going to be something in the back of my head with thinking, oh, you know, that would be a great game to. The prototype out and things like that and so 
there's always that aspect. So I'm kind of floating between uh, a few different uh, projects and concepts and uh, just trying to, you know, I have to make a decision pretty quickly on what to do next. But right now I'm just, you know, enjoying people, enjoying the film. And, you know, I think the, the best way, you know, like I'm on Twitter a lot. So it's, uh, you know, Josh YTSUI uh, on Twitter and then insert coin doc uh, also on Twitter. And then yeah, for those who want to um, check out the film, uh, the best place to go is uh, insertcoindoc.com and you, you, all the links to different ways to see the film uh, are all on there. And, uh, you know, I hope people really enjoy it. Yeah, definitely. And we'll have the links for it in the uh, article that we write up. And once again, man, we want to say thanks because we see you as like an historian, but also like an arcade ambassador. And you just took it upon yourself to like, let people know how awesome arcades are and that's like a cause that we can also get behind and, and we yeah. appreciate that effort because like you're doing the historical work and have the portfolio and experience to back it up man so the next project we're 110 going to be awesome. some supporters on it so thank you no no thank you yeah no you and like you know i you guys do a great job i mean i, I learned a lot reading uh you know reading the stuff that you guys put out so i super appreciate uh guys such as yourself that are really putting in the work and research as it's really neat to see